Welcome to the Strategy with Jason podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy with Jason. Today, I have a very exciting guest, a second-time guest. Why? Because we just had such amazing conversations. I decided to do a round two. Actually, no, a lot of cool things have changed, and we're super excited to jam about this. I have the one, the only, the oh-so-famous Mr. Russell Gentry in the house. What's up, Russell? Hey, Jason. How are you? <laughs> Doing good, man. It's always great. It, it never loses its flavor. You know I, what I'm saying? I, I'm just trying. I'm having a little fun, right? <laughs> uh, hey, Russell, look, man, we got some great topics to talk about. And I think uh, some of the topics we're going to kind of jam about today is kind of an extension or more of an update of kind of what we talked about our first podcast. So uh, if you if you're watching or listening to this podcast for the first time, please continue to do so. But also make sure you go back and check out um, our last episode, which I think was in January, if I remember correctly. Um, and and this is kind of an extension to that to that conversation. But hey, Russell, for everybody out there who's watching, listening and kind of don't know who you are, or how you got started in the industry, you know, I love starting this podcast off with a little origin story. So, how, Russell, how did you get started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry? Yeah, so it's actually, uh, it was a crazy story, and I get asked about it a lot because <laughs> the progression from what I started my adult life and career as till now are, are diversely different. I'm actually a retired battalion chief from the fire department, and uh, I spent years uh, with the fire division, and one of my final jobs as a battalion chief was state bid pricing and vehicles and purchasing and contracts and that type of thing. So I dealt with a lot of the dealers uh, in Cincinnati and uh, two in particular, uh, one of the larger Ford stores and one of the larger Chevy stores. And uh, when I was going around and introducing uh, my colleague that was going to take over for my, my roles and responsibilities, uh, one of the dealers in particular asked me and said, Hey, you know, what are you going to do now? Um, you know, we, we think you should work for us. And I kind of, you know, hemmed and hauled about that a little bit and pushed back. And he's like, no, listen, uh, we're going to do this CRM thing and we're doing this new website thing. And this was in uh, late 90, 1997. So this mm -hmm. was pretty early on for the internet piece. And uh, he said, you you know your way around tech and, and contracts and stuff like that. So why don't you just, you know, consult with us and help us out on this? So I did. And, uh, and uh, you know, like, the hindsight's twenty twenty, but eventually during that process, I ended up meeting my future business partner of 12 years. Uh, we took a couple of way stops along the way. Um, they came in, they were part of the company pitching the dealer on some goods and services, in particular a CRM solution and some training. And uh, a couple of weeks after uh, the deal was signed and, and everything was kind of moving on, I got a phone call and uh, they were, it, was, it was my partner and he said, hey, listen, I'm out in San Francisco now. And uh, with a company named AutoWeb. And uh, this was in a, right, right around 98. Yeah, and that's a real web really 1.0, right? Yeah, yeah, really early. I mean, the big bad internet was going to eat the dealers. We were going to print <laughs> cars out of jet printers, all the exactly. kind of stuff, right? And uh, so he said, I think you'd be really good at this. We'd like uh, to buy you a ticket out here and talk to you. And I, I accepted a gig with them. I ended up learning just a ton. Um, Payam Zamani was the principal back then. Uh, he ended up taking the company public in 99. Uh, I, I proceeded through the ranks, ended up being national sales director, just had a lot of great experience mm -hmm. and education and time spent in those early days. 
Uh, that company was sold in 2001 to Autobytel. And I was part of the what they called the six-pack uh, national accounts uh, that went down to Los Angeles. Spent some time there, but you know we had um, we had a, a parachute package kind of thing set up, and we were always doing things in data, data scrubbing, analytics, hygiene, the best that you could for the tech back then. Mm-hmm. And we decided to start our own company, and and uh, we uh, we started four companies. Well, we acquired one, we, we started three companies, and uh, we ended up uh, selling those in June of 2015. They all stemmed around data syndication, data hygiene, etc. Um, and when I was done with that, uh, that's what progressed me in my current role. Um, I partnered uh, with a young man named Greg Ash, a very talented developer and uh, data database uh, administrator, and he had some ideas. And obviously, technology had progressed. So uh, we invested in that company and took a position there, and that's where we are today. Nice. Yeah, you know what? Uh, um, data is definitely in your blood. <laughs> you can just see it like if it was intentional or not intentional, there was no way of getting around it. It's just, it just that, I don't know what's happening. Right? I think that's what it yeah. is. And then I think the automotive side just made it stick more for you. That's what my yeah. guess is, right? Because that's just what automotive industry does. Is it just it gets in you and it's very, very difficult to come out. And you know, it, it I mean you truly are, you know, we're the original pioneers of just, you know, understanding best practices, and how to really utilize a dealership's uh, data, uh, both in their operations and their marketing efforts, marketing specifically. Now, the last conversation that we had, we talked about the cookie wars. I feel like I need some special effects to like come in. That's when right. I, when I say be like a flashing like screen or something, right? Yeah. I, you know what I was thinking as I was saying that I'm like looking at your like Star Wars, like uh, a paraphernalia <laughs> behind you. And I was like, I think I need something like an intro for this, the, the cookie wars, you know, uh, but, but no, this is a very real thing. I mean, the, the topic and the conversation is coming up a lot right now. I mean, every single time a dealer logs into their ad manager account, they're getting Boom, hit with a notification. Operate, you know, iOS 14 is coming. It's coming. It's, it is, it's like doomsday or something like that. And there's just, look, there's a lot of big companies right now fighting for this. So I would love to get an update because it's been a few, a couple months since we've talked about this. But for everyone out there that's watching and listening, could you maybe just talk to a little bit about what we mean when we say the cookie wars? And then I want to get that update from you as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the cookie wars specifically are in regards to the use of third-party cookies. Uh, third-party cookies have been around for quite some time. It's essentially a piece of code uh, that when you go to a certain website or property, um, it, it places itself in your environment, and then it has the ability of following you and re-identifying you for retargeting ads, primarily used in the digital display uh, uh, arena and industry, but uh, a lot of other uh, you know, platforms use it as well. That's the basic premise of if I go to Gentry Ford and I'm looking at F-150 trucks and I leave that and I go over to ESPN to check the baseball scores, all of a sudden I'm seeing an ad in there for F-150s because it's, it's re-identified me on an additional property. So third-party cookies are very, very common in the industry up until about uh, two or three years ago when they started coming into question. Um, one side of the fence says that the cookies is about consumer privacy. The other one says it's about big tech and some of the larger companies trying to control more of the ad dollars. It is a multi-billion dollar industry. And for auto dealers, uh, a ton of what they do in their space is done through this retargeting. Um, Individuals go to their website, 
They look at certain BDP pages, they see certain vehicles, and that retargeting takes over. Mm-hmm. Um, so the third-party cookies are basically they're, 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 the, 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 the clock's ticking. They're going away. They're demise. The major browsers out there, Chrome and Safari, have taken significant steps in recent months and years to eliminate them. And the thought is, is that by the end of this year, uh, they'll probably uh, be extinct. And that's going to really uh, impact the way that uh, marketing agencies retarget and how they uh, you know, do display advertising and other uh, social media advertising for car dealers. So what would you say, you know, for there, there are a fair amount of car dealers I work with and clients I work with that do a lot of their own marketing. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're hearing what you're saying right now, Russell, and they're going, oh, crap. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, look, I know big agencies, you know, like ours can have conversations about this and how we're going to approach it. And we can come up with strategies out there. But there's a lot of dealers out there that do, you know, a, a good job of handling and executing on their own ad space. Um, you know, what, what can they do? All right. Uh, to, to create a workaround, you know, this cookie war. Right. Yeah. So, um, it's not going to be, it, it certainly is going to require them to kind of change their approach as you indicated. Uh, it's not the end of the world though. Um, I actually, <laughs> Uh, I think you and I were talking once about this. I actually think it's a good thing for dealers because it's going to force them to focus on their audiences and taking control of their first-party data, knowing who they're transacting with, uh, the, the individuals that they're selling cars to, that they've sold cars to in the past. And then there's a lot of assets out there that don't have anything to do with third-party cookies mm-hmm. that allows them to kind of create this journey that the consumer is taking and uh, and use identity graphs uh, to take their first party data and create, you know, an alert system or find out where they are in that whole, uh, that whole journey. So there's a lot of those kind of things that they can do. The, the other thing they can do is make sure that they're producing their own content, uh, content that's engaging, uh, useful, timely, relevant to their consumers, because then that's going to draw the consumer in and they're going to raise their hand. They're going to identify because they find that content useful versus sure. just some, you know, third party cookie and retargeting. And we know it's, a device number, but we really don't know it's Jason or it's Russ. We just know somebody clicked on an ad, right? Yeah. You know what? I like, I'm excited for it because, you know, when, when I first started our agency, we were going to be the best video automotive specific creative shop out there. And, right. you know, at that, like this, we're talking 10 years ago, right? There were a lot of dealers that just didn't even look, they didn't need to. That's the problem. Right. They were able to half-ass their efforts by relying so much on their remarketing, that high-frequency remarketing message, that it would ultimately end up generating the results they were looking for. But but they didn't have to really go deep into the content and create right. both educating and entertaining messages. And now I feel like they're going to have to. So I, there's one side of my brain that's like, woohoo, let it burn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Because I want to see better creative and we're already beginning to see better creative i mean i think back you know uh, uh the super bowl those vroom commercials seem yeah. to wake everybody up and yeah. say i need to tell a story all right and so like i saw some great dealers and dealer groups stand up and go look they can do it we can do it we have better stories to tell so let's start telling those stories so i saw that now you had mentioned something uh that i wanted to kind of loop back around to because you talked about an identity grabber mm-hmm. and and i think there's probably a, a fair amount of listeners out there that don't necessarily know what you mean when you say that so can can you define real quick what an identity grabber is 
Yeah, so uh, identity grammar, identity graphing, uh, identity charts, right? Um, so it all deals with the identity of the consumer and finding different ways to associate different handles or ID mechanisms that allow you to tie that back to uh, fully identified consumers. Uh, the world, like we're talking about, is heavily dependent on third-party cookies, but that really doesn't de-anonymize the data. That just tells us what that device is doing. We don't know that it's uh, Jason and he's an F-150 driver today and he lives on you know, a house that he owns. Good it's point. really just a device thing. So third-party cookies are part of it. The other way that uh, individuals are, you know, IP retargeting, which is very, very uh, it's tough to get a one-to-one identity around IP retargeting because as many as 22 different devices can use the same IP address. So the identity graph idea is the taking taking certain elements and tying it back to personally identifiable information and creating your own custom audience. Uh, Rush Gentry, 123 Main Street, drives a Corolla, owns yes. his own home, et cetera. And there's a number of different ways of doing that out there. Um, you can use services that will allow you to take email addresses and match back into it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talk about hashed emails. Uh, there's a lot of talk about the made devices, the made IDs to use that to tie it back. Really what the dealers need to do is align themselves with a partner that allows them to take the data in whatever form they have it in today and convert that into a custom audience for them. You know, I'm excited because, you know, (laughs) you know, and I know a lot of self-proclaimed marketing experts. There's a fair amount of them out there, right? They got a YouTube channel and they got a camera. They can call themselves a self-proclaimed marketing expert. You know what the cool thing is? I think that's going to filter out a lot of these self-proclaimed experts over the next few years, right? Because, you know, uh, an, a, a proper agency now has to be equally as good as telling a story and making that a, a very creative way to connect with a customer. And they have to understand the data and how it can actually be used so that they can actually target the right people. We have to be equally a data agency as much as a creative agency. So I, I, I love having this conversation with my team because I'm pushing them to have these to to learn and better themselves and understand right. you know the the type of information and which I think will kind of will filter out it will you know it's going to filter out that that cream rises to the top kind of scenario so with that said all right for the dealerships out there watching listening right now and they're currently working with an agency or a marketing vendor all right how how do they know that they're working with the right vendor or the right agency. Now, I understand that this is completely your opinion, but I want to get your thoughts. <laughs> yeah. So um, I would say that uh, as you work with your agency, and, and we know a lot of great players in the space, um, I personally have a lot of clients that I do. We do a lot of work with agencies. I guess there'd be three or four questions that I would ask them as a, as a dealer. Um, the first one is, is that, uh, you know, do they white label their technology or do they own their technology? What kind of technology are they using to produce uh, the marketing channel mechanisms? And just kind of understand where they are because that'll give the dealer kind of a really good idea of, you know, how much control he's going to have or she's going to have over the process with the agency. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two is, is to have a data discussion with them, you know, and, and ask them, how are you going to tell my data story? You know, how, how are we going to go down this path? And what content messaging are we going to use uh, to identify these consumers and make sure that we're getting the right message to the right people? And depending on that one, that's really going to kind of sift through uh, these individuals that are just using canned information and, and, and that type of thing, rather than taking the data, 
uh, leveraging it to the dealership's brand, the why buy message, you know, yes. why buy from Gentry Ford uh, and, and segmentation of that data. So that that's probably the second bucket. The third one in general would be, um, you know, how are we going to measure their ROI or the attribution, right? Mm-hmm. What, what's the real end result here? Uh, it, it's not to get clicks and impressions and it's not for our Google analytics to get that big blue mountain. Um, it's really about engagement, right? So how many people are uh, actually engaging with the chat software on our website? How many are calling the dealerships? How many appointments are we setting? And then what's the conversion on sold units off of that? I, I, I humbly would say if I was interviewing an agency, I'd ask about those three things. I, I think those are some great things to have discussions around. And, you know, and a lot of dealerships out there right now are looking at their current provider or maybe a new provider. And those are some amazing questions that, that they can ask. I love the fact that you use the phrase data storytelling. I just, that just sounds good. It just rolls off the tongue, right? <laughs> um, it's, but that is kind of what we're talking about. Like when we're thinking what the future of digital marketing is, mm-hmm. all right, it. It is more about telling a story with the data that you have or data storytelling to your point and then how the creative kind of supports that. So when you say, you know, data storytelling, what do you mean by that for everyone out there watching and listening? And how does a dealer take control of that first party data? Yeah, so so data storytelling is the ability to follow uh, the signals and the signs that are given off by the consumer, whether it's a demographic attribute about that consumer because we know that Russ, you know, has certain attributes. Um, mm-hmm. It's the signals that he's giving off online and the signals that he's giving off online in the physical world, right? And tying all those things together and creating a narrative around it. So, for example, um, I, I don't believe that I click on one Sky Tower ad or an ad on, for an F one fifty that that automatically puts me into the I'm buying a pickup truck mode this week, right? But if I all of a sudden I'm working with my agency and they're leveraging different assets and we're creating this journey that the consumer is making, uh, we see signals giving off uh, that, you know, they've had a a lifetime change. They've just bought a house. They've just had another child into the family Uh, and, you know, know, actually add that into location intelligence information. It says they've been on some lots. Putting all that together, that quilt is the data storytelling process, right? We, I don't, I would never want as a dealer just depend on a click or an impression and say, oh, boom, let's go push in and, and just give all our ad dollars right there. I think for me personally, knowing what we know about the data side of things, when you see all those elements lining up, that's the data storytelling. Now, once the dealer has an understanding of that, has partnered with this agency to, to, to have an understanding, then the real fun or work kicks in, which is, how do you curate the content that matches that story, that storyline, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sending a message to somebody that hasn't owned the car in uh, a year is, is bad form, right? So one of the things we have to do is make sure that if we're trying to buy their car back, we understand what they own today, right? Just things like that in the messaging that we don't really want to stub our toe uh, right out of the gate. Use the quilt and the storyline uh, to support the messaging. I love the, the picture the visual of a quilt, right? Because that's really what we're doing here, right? We're, we're, we're taking, you know, all of these different data points and we're kind of stitching that all together to identify the audience. Um, and then once we have that audience defined, it's our responsibility um, as, as dealerships to present them a compelling piece of creative, not a $5.99 monthly special. Like, we, come on, we gotta, we gotta dig 
deeper. I mean, look, we're, we're getting to the point where we're able to dig deeper in our data. Now I feel like we got to dig deeper on our creative strategies as well. So our data strategies are getting way more comprehensive. Now we're going to have to get a lot more comprehensive in our creative strategies. I'm Look, you get the opportunity like me to talk to a lot of dealers. So I'm sure you've seen some good examples of this. <laughs> I'm sure you've seen a lot of bad examples. Is there one, any, from a creative perspective, is there any one example that maybe jumps up at you and she goes, hey, this was a great example where they took the data and then quilted that together with creative to create a, just a beautiful campaign. Anything pops up on your head? Yeah, so in particular, there's a couple of great players in the space right now that drive uh, price and inventory uh, storylines back to consumers based on their behavior. And we know that, uh, you know, individuals, consumers, uh, regardless of what they want to tell us, uh, pricing and payment is always a big issue with them. So providing that information back on their current status in a way that's non-intrusive, but it looks like you're being helpful and you're giving them something as far as pricing out uh, a payment. You're, you're giving them the new model years of a vehicle that they drove before, that drove before mm -hmm. or ones that they've looked at or the type of model, makes and models that they've gone to at the dealership. So um, to, there's a couple platforms out there that are very, very centric around payment and inventory. Um, and ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what the dealers have to get really good at is presentation and inventory. Now, you mentioned the digital retailing piece. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that we call it DR and digital retailing and that it took, you know, the, 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 the COVID crisis to cause that flip. But generally speaking, the stats have been showing us for years that consumers don't want to go through that boiler room set up at any dealership. And there's exactly. a lot of great dealerships out there that avoid that. And, and, and that's not the way that they market vehicles, but this switch to digital retailing where the consumer gets the information online and forcing us to provide more content, more video, answer questions, more connectivity uh, in a remote way is really, I think, you know, great examples of platforms that dealers should use that, that, that solves that problem for them. No, I, I'm with you 100%. I mean, I think, you know, I've had the <laughs> I've had the DR conversation many, many, many times. And, you know, whenever that conversation does come up, I always have to throw a disclaimer out there for anybody watching and listening. Look, digital retailing is a process before it's a piece of technology. So please right. take the time, right, to develop out the process within your dealership so that you are confident that you can execute it at 100% from an operations perspective, then work backwards towards the technology so that it can actually fulfill those operational goals. Uh, just too often, I'm still seeing it today and it's driving me nuts, is that dealerships are buying into DR as the magic diet pill. Uh, they're like, I'm just going to throw a widget on my site and I'm going to sell more cars. And it's, no, it's... Not actually how that works, but it is a great opportunity when we're thinking of like the, the customer experience, right? And and when I think of the experience, when a lot of people think of the experience, they think of it, that in dealership experience. When me and you think of the experience, we think of it from the very first touch point. The first time a piece of creative pops up with our with our name on it and every single piece of creative outside of that, plus the engagement on the website, plus the engagement inside the dealership. That is that holistic experience. And yes, those conversations are happening now. And I'm so happy that they're happening now. And things like the cookie war is going to promote pushing those conversations. Um, you know, understanding, you know, Data, uh, data storytelling is going to push those types of conversations, right? You know, um, I think this is kind of a good segue into our next topic I was going to talk to you about because I've seen a lot of it lately 
Um, and I don't know, maybe it's just because there are just more people online because we're at home or what it is. But I mean, it's, it's a lot around digital ad fry, right? Or bots. Um, how can a dealer kind of avoid this? Because I'm seeing so much of it right now. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a big problem. Um, it's been written and uh, and diagnosed and reported on for years. Mm -hmm. But uh, so digital ad fraud for the dealers out there impacts every industry, whether it's uh, RVs, cars, furniture, makeup, uh, quick serve food, whatever. And it's, it's basically what it is, is anytime you're displaying ads and the motive or the incentive of that ad is to be paid for those clicks and impressions, then there are unfortunately nefarious uh, things out there that cause that number to go up and ad spend to go up and it's not even a real human being or it's being done in a fashion that's trying to drag that expense up. Uh, and it's, it's unfortunate, but the ad fraud numbers with COVID and with more people switching to online and websites and that type of thing have only escalated. Mm -hmm. um, so there's things out there called bots, and, and we kind of you know, touched on that. But you know, a bot is a machine, and it just drives the clicks. There's no real way to engage and sell uh, a bot a car because it's not a real person. And then there's things, unfortunately, offshore called click farms where they just go in and they just click to try to drive up the ad revenue. Now, it's not 100%, it's not even 80% or 70%, but it is a significant percentage, enough that a lot of the major um, advertising associations in the, in the country have really started to push to take accountability back on digital ad fraud. And that has spawned an industry of uh, these platforms that could help dealers. There's a number of them out there. Uh, there's eight or nine probably in the top of their game that have certifications that allow the dealers or agency for the dealer to identify if the traffic's fraudulent or not. Is it coming through, uh, you know, different servers, proxy servers, et cetera, that, that would require or would not require the dealer to know that under other circumstances. So these platforms help, uh, they're fairly cost effective. Um, so it's kind of like an insurance policy. If you're spending a lot of money in display and that type of thing, you probably want to contact one of these providers. You know, as an agency, we're using one of those providers and I look, it's little bits. All right. But when I multiply this out over the hundreds and hundreds of accounts that we're running and then I start adding this all up, I mean, there are there are tens of thousands and not maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of dollars that are not going anywhere. And uh, the cool thing I found, though, is that we're getting the money back. <laughs> like, like I, I think every single month I, I, I've found, especially, spe especially specifically with Facebook and, and Google both, I guess, is that I'm seeing credits come back like on a regular basis. So it's funny, we, you know, the, the big story right now is the cookie wars. And then it kind of seems like the, the, the underground story that a lot of people are talking about are these click farms and ad fry. Um, yeah. But there are, but look, if you're, if you're a dealer out there and you're watching listening right now and you are not working with an agency and you're taking this on yourself, which is great. Good job for you. All right. You do need to understand what digital ad fry is. You, you do need to understand there are some great products out there. They're very inexpensive for you to be able to add to them, but will help identify. All right. Um, just lost in money. And, you know, in a lot of cases, you can actually get that money back and uh, that can add up quite quickly. Um, I know we're getting towards the tail end kind of our, of our time today, Russell, but um, I'd like to talk a little bit about what excites Mr. Russell Gentry. <laughs> because I'm always curious, right? I mean, look, we're talking about the cookie wars. We talked about, you know, uh, digital ad fry, but I know you're always kind of thinking 
even another five years after that. So, you know, with everything that's going on, everything that you're seeing within the industry when it comes to data and when it comes to marketing and uh, now more of the digitalization of our operational efforts, what gets you excited? Yeah, so we've, <laughs> we, uh, we're doing a lot of work right now in um, behavioral modeling of, and we mentioned that quilt. Mm -hmm. And that's really what excites me these days is, is because we can build a, 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 an image of that customer, uh, what they want, what they need, what they're shopping for, um, you know, uh, what signals they're giving off. And I think what's going to happen is, is the more that we leverage data to be helpful to consumers, right? So you'll say behavioral and then everybody will get worried or you'll say personas or whatever else. But at the end of the day, um, if we use data uh, responsibly, okay, and we know that we're collecting data from all kinds of different places, we're collecting it from their phones, uh, website visits, their movements, uh, their transactions, that type of thing. You know, even even though all that's uh, you know collected in a compliant manner, you still have to be very responsible and respectful of the consumer and use yes. that in a way that gives them something that's helpful. Uh, even though it is very self-serving and it's going to be a transaction, they're going to buy a new RV, they're going to buy a car, they're going to buy a piece of furniture. Um, the world is a very crowded and noisy place. There's a lot of attention that is uh, it's lost in this noise called the internet because of all these websites and email blasts and IP retargeting and all this stuff. And I think the folks that figure out how to build that identity around that individual, uh, a one-to-one -one identity, and says, hey, you know, uh, Russ would appreciate this. This is the type of coffee that he drinks regularly. This is that. This is the type of car he's driven for 15 years. And then all of the messaging then is very relevant to the consumer. I think it will feel better to them. It won't feel like their information is being, you know, prostituted or, or misused yeah. if, that, if that message is, is helpful to them, right? Um, it's interesting because at Google just came out with some stats on the automotive side for the dealers watching. They did the the uh, Think with Google uh, dealer handbook, the, the, the meat document, a couple of things that stood out from there for me was that, you know, 83% of the individuals shopping for the cars are going to take up the three months to purchase that car, which is contraintuitive to what some places were telling us. So, I mean, that's you know, up to three months. So there's a journey, the storytelling, there's plenty of signals that the consumers give off in that three months. The other thing that they indicated was, is that, 74% uh, of consumers going to a dealership's website, isn't they're not going to raise their hand. They're not going to yeah. put in a lead form, right? So that's three out of every four that you get that has a brand awareness, brand affinity, comes to your website, but they're not going to tell you that they're ready to buy that car. So you have to depend on these other mechanisms. And that's what's really jazzing me up these days is the, uh, the ability to, to harvest and uh, leverage this data in a way that we've never been able to before in a compliant first-party fashion. Um, it's neat. I like it. No, I, I'm with you. I think it's so cool how we're going to be able to really kind of uh, laser target our efforts and our messaging um, uh, yep. according to the individual. You know, it, it seems like that's uh, that's been, it's been a consistent kind of conversation. I feel like for the last 15 years is that we're trying to get away from the shotgun approach and we're trying to get more and more laser targeted. And it just feels like over the next few years, it's going to get to a whole nother level of laser targeting. I, and I'm excited about that. There's one thing that comes up <laughs> when we get to this point, you know, you know, as a good dealership or the automotive industry or a good agency is once we find a good thing, 
we'll abuse the crap out of it until it's no longer a good thing. Um, and, you know, I, I'm already, it's crazy to think this, but I am having some conversations with dealerships already around data uh, uh, over usage. Conf um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, data fatigue. Fatigue. Yes, yeah, that's, that's fatigue. the word I'm looking for. I'm looking for data fatigue. And I'm seeing this right now already happen with their retention efforts. My concern is, is that we're going to go forward. We're going to get these great data points and then we're going to do the same damn thing. Um, what kind of advice can you give to a dealership about being responsible uh, with their, with, with the data and the frequency in which they hit the, the specific data that they have so that they can avoid things like data fatigue? Yeah, so that, that's a terrific, Jason, a terrific point, because that's exactly when we empower ourselves with all this data and we start doing things, um, we start thinking quantity over quanti quality, to, to yep. say the cliche, right? That's what we and do we start industry. hammering, hammering, hammering without any type of governance. So what I would say to a dealer is to institute data governance, right? And say to yourself, okay, you know, this is our target goal is uh, when an individual that we've sold a car to before um, we want to start a, a cadence and a tempo to make sure we re-engage them and sell a second or a third or a fourth vehicle. But using that information and knowing it responsibly um, is, is the real trick to it, right? Uh, I think sometimes there's panic that there's brand migration, brand defection. And sure, we see a lot of that at the tier three level with dealerships. But I think if you go back to what we talked about before and you're being helpful and you're providing content and almost like a, an online concierge, I've seen that and heard that. And I like that phrase, right? They're assisting yes. you in this decision-making process. Remember that Google number, 83% take up the three months. So let's not wear the data out. Let's not you know, blast them over and over with emails and that type of thing. Let's make sure that the message that we do, we use it in a finite kind of controlled manner. I mean, that's, that's the way that I would approach it. No, uh, you're 100% right. Look, look, we're really talking about reach over frequency, uh, which is actually not a new strategy. We're kicking it old school right now, back to the TV days and radio and newspaper where everything was, everything strategically was based on reach and frequency, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I find that too often we will take advantage of that, especially when it's so easy for us just to hit the button and just go, hmm. Just going to increase this, and 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 I, and I love the fact that that you said that we got to kind of have to govern ourselves, uh, because you know, and I don't necessarily think you know, uh, as an industry, we've done an overly good job in the past of governing ourselves. I mean, we will jack up the frequency on every single campaign that we possibly can, just assuming that that constant being, 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 being in front of their face is what's going to drive them. But we have to we have to look and be responsible with these tools that we're that we're given and that we're going to be receiving over the next five years. And and, and I love that the fact that we do need to set some guidelines, uh, govern ourselves with our data so that, you know, our customers will continue to come back to us because they feel like we were respectful with their with with their data, not just pounding the crap out of it all the time like we typically do. Um, look, if you're a dealership out there and you're watching and listening right now, these are conversations that you need to have right now um, already with your existing database. And then, of course, what's to come down the pipelines is is data is data um, over usage or fatigue, you know, 
talk about that, have an open conversation with that. I think that's awesome. Hey, hey Russell, for everyone out there that's watching and listening right now, would love to kind of continue some of these conversations because we've had some great conversations so far yeah. in the last 35 minutes. Hey, um, thanks for having me. This has been a blast. I, and and I, I love seeing when you put out new content and some other things. A lot of the guests that you've had on, I've got a little alert set up, so I know when you put that, put a new show out there. So. That's great, and and thank you for for watching. Um, like I said, I um I, I thought my mom's the only one that actually watched this show because <laughs> because well, your mom and me, so maybe your mom and you, party or something, you know, like that, hang out together or something. <laughs> and the only reason I know she watches it because I get a text message every time I use a four letter word. Um, so that's the only reason. I think we're good. I don't, I don't think we did any. No, I don't think we didn't drop too many big ones here, even though when we do talk about data and we do talk about compliancy and governing ourselves, there are several four letter words that come up to my, come to mind. Um, but for everyone out there that's watching and listening, would love to continue to have these conversations with you. What is the best way to connect with you, Russell? Yeah. So the best way is still, uh, our website, which is m1data.com. Um, we, we put a lot of content up there. We do a lot of uh, uh, white papers. We publish a lot of the research that we do. Uh, we're constantly testing data sets. We're very, very blessed because we have not only uh, great automotive relationships, but we have a lot of relationships in RV, power sports, marine, hospitality, consumer goods, et cetera. So we're constantly testing out some of these strategies. Additionally, um, we have information on there where we have a big community of providers, just like Jason was talking about, where there's a lot of great agencies and marketing automation systems out there because it kind of takes the whole community to provide that to a dealer. So m1data.com, uh, it would be the best way, and we would love to hear you and hear from you and continue the dialogue. Russell, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a ton of fun. Uh, you have yourself an amazing day. Thanks, Jason. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy with Jason podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to check out the full podcast library at strategywithjason.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Happy podcasting.